so it's a very, very rainy July morning in Brisbane. We've had a crazy, rainy month. Ah, uh, rainy month. Crazy, rainy month, 2022. But it's kind of fitting, right? The rain. Yes. It rained the entire time we were making kitten licks. Yeah, it was, it was in May of 1996. Yeah. And um, I was just reading back in my journal about what it was like where we were and what we were, you know, what, you know, I write a lot about the weather mm. because the weather was just quite strange. It was just raining the entire time. And, um, but it made for a really beautiful recording environment as well. Yeah, and so this morning it feels kind of like we're in the zone already. It kind of feels like we're in the zone. So, hi Kel. Hi Tim. How you doing? I'm good, how are you? I'm alright. Going to have um, a little giggle? Yeah, I just did, didn't I? <laughs> <laughs> let's get um, it out of the system, get yeah, the giggles out. Alright, let's get serious now. Yep. Episode 5 of the Screen Feeder podcast called The Ending Goes Forever. Hey, uh, I, I said it for a change. Yeah. <laughs> I thought you were just going to throw it at me and I'd just be like a deer in headlights getting mm. going, what is this called? This week we're talking about kitten licks, so it feels like, when we think back to kitten licks, it feels like a large leap forward in terms of the whole band and our whole momentum and our whole everything about the band, right? Yeah, it it was a new chapter, like a new, chapter, new beginning, mm. new drummer, new bunch of songs, a new way of writing and a new way of performing. Yeah. It feels very much like the last episode about Philly Self and Music uh, was the end of that first chapter of the band, right? Yeah. And um, that one was very much like I can remember what all the songs were about. Yeah. Because uh, the songs were quite literal, a lot of them. This album is less literal, but I kind of remember where a lot of the ideas came from, especially okay. things like the titles. Oh, cool. Yeah. Oh, well, that's something that we can talk about. Yeah, let's talk about that down the line. Why don't you just set the scene for us, what, what was happening for us in early uh, 1996? Wow. So, you know, we just got Dean in the band, uh, like probably in 95, right? So we put out Fill Yourself With Music and we did the first lot of touring with Tony and then we got our new drummer in. So there was a lot of turmoil just before that happened. It was a bit of a messy period. Um, Finding Dean and getting him in the band was a new awakening of like possibilities. It, It allowed a lot of creative freedom to come into the band and I felt a lot more comfortable being able to be a songwriter in the band. Mm, I remember that we went through a phase where we were going to practice at least two or three nights a week for short sessions, right, like two-hour practices or less. And we were in a little building in the back of Barry Parade in Fortitude Valley where there was like tons of amps and drum kits in the room, heaps of bands practiced there. And I think we were going in early, like around six every evening to get in before the other bands came in and rehearsed. And uh, I remember it was just like a period where we'd walk in, plug in, our gear was set up, and someone would go, oh, okay, you start something, and Dean would start a beat, or you'd start a little riff, or yep. I'd start a couple of chords. We'd all join in, and 20 minutes later, we'd have the start of a song, and then half an hour later, we'd have a structure. One of us would write the song at home, the lyrics, 
and we'd come in the next night and remember it. Like we didn't record anything at all on yeah. any kind of four track or any cassette recorder or anything. We'd remember it and just finish it off with the lyrics. Um, and it was a time when the mics were open. We could both feel like we could just walk up and there was no judgment. You know, we could just sing any old shit that came into our mind and there was no one going, oh, that doesn't sound very good. Or, you know, it was really open and free and we'd, put the songs together like that so both of us felt like we could add to each other's songs which we did a lot certain songs we actually sat down together and wrote at home with that in mind like Dart yep. Gravity yep. and yeah it was a lovely period where the creativity just flowed like mad right it was crazy um, so I was talking to some interviewers the other day about our practice schedule and I'm not sure whether I've remembered Dean's schedule with hate man and whether I've got his projected memory. So do you think that we were doing practice every day for like two hours? I don't think it was every day. I think it was maybe three or four nights a week. Okay. So, and they were just short periods yeah, of time. Yeah. Cause I think that's the optimal way of writing is just like short and swift and you just kind of no second guessing. You don't mm. faff around with something and kill it. You just you know, get the first spark down. And you tend to remember it if you're there for a shorter time, I think. Yeah, I think that's true as well. So I've actually got in this journal, like the beginnings of the lyrics of songs like Dart mm. and um, Down the Drinker and stuff, which is like Down the Drinker is just all the words. Because I remember when I wrote that, it was just immediate. Right. But with Dart, um, that was a really interesting song for us too, because that was the probably the first one where it was like whoever stands up to the mic mm. and sings mm -hmm. gets that part. Yeah, that's right. And so you were doing something for the verses, but I was doing something for the choruses. And then, but I wrote all the lyrics, mm. and I think that was the first time that we'd ever done anything like that. And I think Dart was one of the first songs that we actually wrote in these sessions as well. Uh, I, think I think Dart was definitely the one that turn the corner for us and it's it said to us okay it's time for you both to sing and this is how it's going to work and it was just it made it easy for us you know what the first song we wrote for the entire group of songs was oh, uh it was summertime that was the first right. one i brought in okay so that explains why summertime is the bridging song. Yeah, it's sort of like the first song, I, it was the first new song that Dean would have learned that wasn't already in the band, right. like already recorded. Because yeah. that song's... It was a B-side to Dart. Right, but it's also on the... Extended. Extended additional... Version, yeah. 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 And there are songs like, for example, maybe Oh Tom and various other things that really came out of just a noodle on the bass, yeah. a few chords, a beat... And some lyrics thrown on, which we barely rehearsed at all. Like we yeah. just threw it together and there it was. Even even Pigtails on a Rock it sort yeah. of feels like it might have been like that. We just threw some parts in the pot, put them together in an order. You wrote some lyrics and there was a song, you know. Yeah. But yeah, it, was, uh, it wasn't a long period of songwriting and uh, it was certainly very productive. Did we, we did some demos at yeah. Red Zed. Yeah. Uh, that was an old studio and practice space mm -hmm. in... Um, in Albion. Albion. There's lots of fond memories of doing stuff there. I remember um, Jeff Lovejoy was 
he recorded our demos, but he kicked us out of the room to mix it because we were all over his shoulder going, yeah, turn right. up the bass, turn but up the But we guitars. recorded, you know, seven or eight songs and mixed them all in one day. Yeah. And the demos come out so good that, you know, there's like the demo of Bridge Over Nothing, which ended up on the Closing Alaska CD. There's Ant, which ended up on the album. Yes. And there's the demo of Summertime, which ended up uh, as the B-side and yeah. things like that. Yeah. We did a lot of recording back then. Mm. I guess because we didn't have access to phones and four tracks yeah, to yeah. record the songs. And for it was ourselves. good because uh, the moment we sent the demos to Shock, they got really excited about it, and yeah. uh, they they promptly organised us to go and record the album with Paul. Yeah. And we did something like we recorded 11 songs based on drums in one night or something and then came back the next day and started on the guitar. Yeah. So as always, we were moving super quick. We had a two-week session in which the mixing was to be done as well, which we did. And uh, I remember that we recorded it all without click track. We just went free on all the songs. Yeah. Uh, we did a couple of takes of each. We were well rehearsed and um, didn't overthink anything, you know? Yeah. It was not spontaneous, but like it's that thing where you walk in, you know everything, yeah. you know all your parts, and so that gives you some freedom. Yeah, like doing, I it was seventeen songs. I think I wrote, mm-hmm. I read out just before seventeen songs in two days. Uh, that's phenomenal. Yeah, really. it's crazy. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, also looking back in my journal, we were a bit stressed out, like. Dean and I were both a bit stressed out, I think, about like getting the best takes and getting it right and feeling that we're under pressure to get it all done really quickly, potentially. Right. Um, I don't remember there being stress, but I guess that's natural, right, if you've got all that yeah. work to do in a well, short time. I know that Dean is, I'm not going to call him a perfectionist, but he does like to get everything right and he's very critical of his performance. So my diary says that he was yeah. stressed out and... I mean, you know, we've recorded a few albums with him and he does get yeah. a bit intense about his drum takes and it's part of his, yeah, part of um, his approach. amazingness. <laughs> yeah. 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 One thing I do remember is uh, we got there one night and it was pissing down. I'm pretty sure it was dark and it was the night before we were going to start and we were waiting for Paul to arrive from Sydney. He was driving up with his uh, partner and their new baby and uh, we were just super impatient, waiting, waiting, waiting and it was pissing down with rain. Do you remember that? You've got it in your diary, Yeah, right? so that's the thing is like I did remember that there was something going on and then finding this diary, it was like, oh, my God, the hilariousness of what actually happened. If you don't mind, I'll just actually read yeah, it straight from it. my yeah, diary. Yeah. Um, okay, so Wednesday the 1st of May 1996, I go on to just talk about arriving at the place, leaving Brisbane and was pissing down already and the car that we were in, it was packed to the gills. We were getting honked at when we changed lanes. Like it was a bit crazy. So I'm just going to read straight from the mm-hmm. journal now. So Paul was supposed to arrive at 10 the first night, Tuesday. By midnight, we'd gone to bed and I was getting worried about him, thinking if he's had an accident and we're stuck without a producer. The next day, he still wasn't here, so I called the studio and Paul was there, but only just. He'd driven from Sydney in his Valiant 
and it had taken him 15 hours. He'd arrived at the studio and Divi, the guy who was the um, studio... House engineer. The, the house engineer, um, gave him directions to get to the house. He almost got here but got bogged before he made it. Um, he got out and even walked to the house but wasn't sure if it was the correct house and he went back to his car and tried to sleep. No use. He walked for an hour and a half back to the studio where he slept. Then he arrived here um, the next day and um, we made pancakes and coffee. <laughs> so at the beginning, it took us three or four hours to get stuff set up. And by 5 p.m., we attempted our first takes. Awesome. Wow. <laughs> Because the drive between the house and the studio was fairly short, like between five and ten minutes, but it was very hilly yeah. and it went up and down these really crazy mountain creeks, which yeah. would occasionally be over the road and you'd yeah. have to sit around waiting, right? Yeah. There was a big bridge and a very steep ravine. Yeah. That's why I was worried that we were going to get cut off from the studio mm. or get stuck in the studio or stuck at the house, but there was no way that creek was flooding. It would be the end of the world if yeah, that true. creek flooded. Yeah, <laughs> Off to a So what else do we have to say to set up, you know, the context around us and our album? I mean, I guess with Philly Self and Music, you know, people who follow the band were a bit, some of them were a bit like not completely on side with Philly Self and Music. Mm. And, you know, within the band, we were just super excited about the songs because we could almost feel and anticipate that it was a return to form kind of thing. Yeah, it was definitely a very exciting time. I remember very distinctly in the practice room, we struggled to get Dart right, that mm -hmm. beginning, mm -hmm. that little turnaround that we do. And we would just rehearse it over and over and over. When we made it through it the very first time, I just remember we all stood there and went, holy shit, yeah. this is amazing. <laughs> yeah. And we were surprised that we did it, but then it was like, yeah. oh, this song's really good. Um. It was definitely the most difficult song to rehearse and, and perfect. And I remember that the whole reason, I think the whole reason we have that weird turnaround is that I could hear in my mind the riff sitting differently on the beat. And mm. I tried to articulate it to you guys. Uh, I don't think I did it that effectively, but it did result in that, in the funny little shift in the timing in the start. Because um, I could just hear, you know, this weird possibility of yeah. playing it backwards, as it were, kind of thing. Yeah, I love those little weird things, but I could hear it too. It was, it was. Um, I think we stood around talking about it for ages, mm. like how to actually mm. make it happen, and and even now, when we've actually played it with other drummers, and getting it right is still really hard. It's such a kooky little mm. part. You have to. Not think about it. If, yeah. you, if you think right. about it, yeah. you are going to mess gone. it up. Like I still fuck it up on stage to this day if yeah. I think about it too much when it's coming. Yeah. It's, it's great. Weird. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So there was a lot of stuff going on in our lives too, I suppose. You'd just gotten married. Well, I did. And plus I just had a baby. And you just had a baby. 
I was in a new relationship mm-hmm. and so I was in a different mindset. So the previous um, times we've talked about records, I'd sort of been in, in a bit of a low, um, you know, not happy place. Uh, but I was in a much happier place. The band felt like a much happier place for me to be in as well. And Dean was such a ray of sunshine. Yeah. He was so much fun. He was really funny and uh, he still is. <laughs> yeah. He was so young, right? He oh, was yeah. like, what, 20? Well, I w- we were young too. Mm, so mm. Dean's only a few years younger than me. But, yeah, that age difference. Yeah. I think I was probably like 23. Yeah, I was 29. Let's chat about why we chose Dean and where we found him. So he was playing in a local band called Hate Man. Yeah. He was from up at the Sunshine Coast, Noosa, and he'd moved down to Brisbane to play drums uh, and be in bands and be in the scene. He was playing in Hate Man, which was this very slow, hardcore, grindy kind of band. And I remember with you watching them at possibly Metropolis or one of these venues. Yeah. And when they were all like mega engaging to watch, they were super intense, yeah. every performer in the band. Yeah. But we couldn't keep our eyes off Dean. He was yeah. slow and heavy yeah. and facially expressive, very physical. And we were like, that guy's amazing. <laughs> yeah. And uh, when it came time to look for a new drummer, we couldn't look any further. We just were like, we've got to get Dean. And yeah. I think I might have given him a call. I don't think I dropped around to his house, but I think I maybe phoned him and said, hey, are you up for this? And within a day he was and we went to practice and uh I think the first song he played with us might have been maybe Fingers and Toes or Around a Pole or something like that. Yeah, right. And, you know, quarter of a song through, we looked at each other and we're like, yeah, this is happening. Yeah. This is on fire. Yeah. Oh, I think maybe it was Lost in the Snow. That could have been the first song he played. Okay, I don't remember, but I know exactly that feeling yeah. and that look that we would have given yeah. each other because, like, I don't know how many times we looked at each other like that about Dean, just, like, going, holy cow. Yeah. What an incredible drummer. His creative approach to drums is like no other drummer yeah. I know. Um, there is a f- backstory too. Like, so I was in a band called Crud before I joined Screen Feeder and the main members of that band was Jeff Graham and Paul Service yeah. and myself and um, we had a couple of drummers. So when I joined Screen Feeder, Crud kind of broke up not necessarily because I was, yeah, actually because I joined Screen Feeder. We, I don't think we just couldn't go on anymore. Um, so that was a bummer and I felt like lots of people were really pissed off with me because I left this really great band. Yeah. Um, but I joined a really great band so I felt okay about that. Then when we found Hate Man and Dean, Jeff Graham was the main songwriter <laughs> yeah. and Paul Service was in the band as well. So it was two people from Crud. Yeah. Also Lance Sinclair, who was from a band called Noose, who um, I was really great friends with. Yeah. And that's how we would have got Dean's number, actually. I would have gone, right. hey. <laughs> so Dean <laughs> joined Screen Feeder. So Jeff Graham and Paul Service must just hate you. Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you're the guy that destroyed all of their dreams. You... Yeah. They might as well pack up now. I know. <laughs> it's awful. But, I mean, you know, they've gone on to do other things and, yeah. you know, um, that's just the way things happen. Yeah. And people gravitated towards each other and, like, without Dean, we would not be here doing this, talking about this stuff. Yeah, and it's so funny because 
really that's the whole thing about kitten licks like you know sure without dean that album wouldn't exist the songs wouldn't exist but also you know for example had we gone into practice one week on a wednesday instead of a tuesday or a thursday instead of a monday we might not have early talker or we might not have um dead to the world yeah or anything end of the wire you yeah. know what i mean like we'd have a different song yeah so it's so random it because random. literally half the songs on the album are just from a standing around going okay you start something and it's just so incredible to think that we didn't record those things like yeah. we literally wrote them and i guess we would go back the next day yeah. and go let's pick up on that yes yeah. Or having to remember, I mean, I must have had like a Walkman maybe. I don't know that we did, but it was just like, you know, we were young. Our minds weren't constantly bombarded mm. with the internet all yeah. the time. Yeah. And we were in there frequently enough that we could pick it up again when we left off. True. And yeah, you probably just think about that one riff like yeah. all night. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Funny. Times have changed. Yeah, totally. Um, but we were very focused on writing at that time. Mm. Yeah, so that's a that's a funny little anecdote about how Dean joined. Yeah. Okay, so I'm just going to talk, um, take out another part from my journal. Day two, the 2nd of May. Um, it's still raining and I'm still scared that we're going to get bogged. That's a very big factor in all of these journal entries is me talking about being scared about getting stuck or getting bogged. We did 11 songs last night and put down 17 drum and bass beds in two days. Tomorrow we start on the guitar. That's if the creek between here and the studio is possible. Um, blah, blah, blah. Stop worrying about it. <laughs> so in those first two days, we did 17 drum and bass beds. That's literally bonkers. But yeah. that's the kind of way we worked. I guess it was more the norm back then, you know, mm-hmm. running to tape. You know, having mm-hmm. a great drummer, we've had two great drummers, so we were able to just go in and put it down. It would almost always be, you know, if not correct, so close that we could just do it again yeah and i guess that's the thing too you just be like take one next take two you just do take after take after take and then after i don't know a bunch you just go which one was the best one and drop in a couple of things that needed to be fixed i mean i guess we were just on fire (laughs) and my favorite thing about you know recording tape as against uh, digital on a computer is when you're doing all things like you know drop-ins or whatever it is you're only relying on your ears rather than your eyes. You know, yeah. like you don't look at it and go, oh, that looks a bit out of time. You yeah. go, yeah, that sounded right. And you always trust your ears. Yes. You go, that's it. Let's move on, do the next thing. Oh, my God. Yeah. That's so true. Because I think when you are looking at it, you lose all that feel. And I think that's one of the things about Kitten Licks is it's just full of feel because we didn't record to a click. No. And so- there's there's plenty of like, you know, the timing might race or there's little mistakes and things like that. Yeah. But that's just us. Um, 
responding to what we're doing sure. at the time. Yeah, yeah. You know, having to follow Dean's lead. There might be a part that kind of feels like it's getting really exciting. So you kind of your heartbeat races and you yeah. kind of might the tempo might go up a little bit and go back again. Yeah. They're all the great things about what we love about music. Exactly, yeah. That's yeah. right. So are we ready to go song by song? Let's do it. All right. What is it? Static. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so the album starts with um, a false start. Like it's mm. got the demo version of Static running for like a couple of bars and then the newly recorded version kicks in. I'm pretty sure it's up a notch mm-hmm. uh, key-wise. Uh, uh, we used to record down in E-flat, D-sharp, and uh, the new one kicks in when we tune up to E. And uh, it obviously sounds louder and more exciting and fuller and all that kind of yeah. stuff. Static is a song where... I pretty much stole all the lyrics. Uh-huh. Remember in the 90s it was like fanzines? Yes. So everyone was making fanzines, photocopied little magazines about music, about their opinions, anything. Um, someone sent me a fanzine from America called Dream Whip and in it was a cartoon, an actual, you know, what do you call it, an animated drawing, a series of drawings in boxes, yeah, so a cartoon, a comic strip a com- kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. or like what, what are they called now? They're actually... Oh, graphic so novels. Graphic sort of, novels, yeah. yeah. So it's a graphic story. Yeah. So someone sent me one of these and it had this story about a guy driving at night and he stopped his car and tuned into Static and and just listened to it and felt this connection with the universe or whatever. Wow, that's and cool. And literally almost word by word, I stole that and made the song out of it. I fleshed it out here and there. Yeah. You know, I made the words fit. And because uh, I read it and I was so moved, I thought, what a beautiful little story. What a sweet little anecdote and a great idea. So I kind of nicked it. And then um, a few years later, I think maybe within five years later, the guy, I, I told him about it via mail and he wrote back and was like, oh, you could have asked. <gasps> oh, no. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you could have asked. Yeah, I could have asked and I didn't and I just nicked it. So, and he was cool. But, so did you, you know, actually take words that he'd written? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You're very bad at that. I'm very good at that. Well, you're very good at that because I know that there's things I've said to you that end up in songs yeah. and I'm like, dude. <laughs> and we've got lines on this record from books and things as well, uh, which we'll get to. Okay. Yeah. Yes, totally. So Static, I wrote at home. I remember it very distinctly when I was living in St. James Street in Petrie Terrace with the newborn baby and my then partner, Mickey. Uh, yeah, wrote it at home, brought it in, didn't really change. It was an unusual song in that way. So Static and Summertime were definitely ones where I just brought them in and said, mm. oh, here's a song. And yeah. you guys were like, yeah, that's fine. We'll yeah. learn it. So, yeah, it was the second single from the album in late 1996. Yeah, so I got a ton of Triple J play mm. and Triple Z play, which is amazing. Uh, got us so many gigs. Uh, well, I guess, you know, the whole Kintlix thing pushed us really into Radio Land in a big way, which we never really had before, which is awesome. Uh, it's still in the set to this day. It's a pretty fun song to play. A lot mm-hmm. of people know it. It moves along. It's got a nice physical sort of, you know, I've got a nice, it, it feels good to play on the guitar. Like, you know, mm. it's really, it really moves and it's fun. And uh, yeah, what do you reckon about it? Yeah, it's a great song to play. I guess um, as an album opener, it's good because it's got this killer drum roll yeah. and, you know, the guitars and stuff are all sounding pretty good. Um, it's funny listening back to Kitten Licks in general, actually, because you know how we were saying Philly Self Music is a real drum-heavy album? Mm. Like Kitten Licks, the guitars are not massive by any means. They're thin and, you know, they do a lot of work, but they're not over-domineering. And mm. it's really the drums that are so zingy and spicy and the snare just cracks. Yeah. And it's like that opening sound of the snare rolling. The snare in Static is one of the best snares sound I think we've ever got on any record ever. Like yeah. I love it. It's really defining. 
it is a really great opener because it's it's setting this pace yeah. and it's setting yeah. this not a not tension, but it's like a um, expectation. Yeah, I you're think. right. Yeah, for yeah, sure. Yeah, it's a really great way to start an album. I love songs that start with a drum fill or some kind of drum yeah. thing. Yeah, and that's a good one. Bridge Over Nothing. I think these opening three, Static, Bridge and Dart, we used to play for years as a set. And we used to call it the big three. Yeah. We just write on the set list, the big three. Yeah. <laughs> and because uh, they flow into each other perfectly. And when we master the album, obviously, also we, we overlap them. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the start of one is sitting over the ending of the last. So yeah. they jam together tightly. Uh, that was my favorite method of mastering back then. Kind of silly is like, you know, jamming the songs together real tight. I remember playing, I think I remember playing this to you and Dean and Dean immediately getting on that crazy drum idea and we're just going, holy shit, this <laughs> one's going to be amazing, you know. <laughs> and he just he just did it without a second thought. Like literally he's the kind of drummer where I could play this to him on the guitar and by halfway through the song, by the first chorus, he's like, yeah, yeah, I got it, I got it. And yeah. it's going to go like this and he'd play it and it would be like that. Yeah, right. Almost note perfect like that and there'd be barely anything that would need to be changed by the recording. Yeah, wow. Was this a song written before, like, did you bring it in written? I can't remember, but I think I would have done, yeah. Yeah, I think you might have as well. We probably just, you know, did some arrangement stuff. I remember where I got the title. Yes, so do I. Oh, do you? Okay, right. Yeah. Shall I tell it? Yeah, or you, you tell it. Uh, we were doing a photo session with a Brizzy guy called Darren Hawthorne, who we used quite a bit back then. And it was the first session when Dean joined the band. And we found ourselves down under the cliffs at Kangaroo Point, walking along that weird park they got there. And it was the evening. And there was a weird little, like, ornamental tiny footbridge going over essentially nothing like it was about <laughs> one meter long <laughs> and it was right on the ground <laughs> and dean looked at it and went oh look at that bridge over nothing <laughs> and i went aha there's a song title i'm gonna write uh, that song tomorrow and i so did funny yeah because he's like you know we got this thing in the band with dean like he'll say random weird crazy funny things yep. and then you know like we put out that ep delusions of grandchildren that was one yes. of his things he said <laughs> so good he was trying to say Delusions of grandeur. Yeah. And he said, delusions of grandchildren and oh my goodness. And there was that one time he said, um, (laughs) (laughs) he said, I'm going to change my name by Tadpole. (laughs) Do you remember that? Yes, I remember. Like, Dean's got a nickname, which is The Beef. But that's shortened from rat beef. (laughs) So this is a classic example (laughs) of everything that we used to do. You and I would be in the front seat of the car and Dean was in the back. You and I having a conversation, Dean's like completely not engaged and then he overhears one thing and he'll just blurt it (laughs) out. And he blurts, we're talking about rap beats. We were talking about rap beats, yeah, like drum and rap beats. And their rap beats. Yeah. yeah. And so Dean just pipes up and goes, What's that? Rat beef? 
<laughs> it was like, oh my god! Like honestly, just laughing for the rest of yeah. the day, and then forever remembering this. And so he just became the beef, and um, he even put rat beef on his ki- on his kick drum <laughs> yeah. with like gaff. Oh boy! Other things like saying something like, you know, something was fifty cents, and he's like, "What's that? Empty sex." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so many things that yeah, he just so randomly things. overheard wrong and so good so many hours of fun Um, there's footage of this on YouTube, I believe, of him playing Bridge Over Nothing at a Triple J live at the wireless session yes. we did. And he's just this young dude on the drums. It's like he's a bull oh and he can't wait goodness. to get out and freaking gore people or something <laughs> yeah. like that. He's pouring at the ground. He wants to go. He's got all this energy. Yeah. And uh, you see him hit into it and he's drumming like a maniac. It's so fast. And there's one point where he looks around at the camera and just kind of gives this little nonchalant shrug while he's while he's blitzing it like that and you're yeah. just like oh my god this guy's amazing yeah when he hears music it's like his body hears it it's not even yeah. his mind it's his body can understand it and and process it in this amazing way yeah it's a whole different language yeah because his dad was a drummer as mm. well so he was just born with this drumming gene yeah and it, it's incredible it's like so creative Yeah, it's uh, it's just got so much energy, and you know, literally, still to this day, I love playing live. It's Same. really super high energy for me. Uh, it's at the top of my vocal range, but I can just deal with it, and it's uh, I love it. Again, like Dart, when we got through it and played it fully the whole way through the first time, it was like, holy shit, this is wild. Yeah, which leads on to the you know part three of the big three. Dart. Yeah, Dart. Um, we've talked about it a little already, the mm. music and how we came up with it and whatnot. Tell us about the lyrics. So it's all uh, stuff from my diary and just I did a lot of writing. I would write all the time. Right. You know, lots of prose and poetry and stuff as well. So Dart comes from just, yeah, very random things that don't necessarily mean anything to anyone. But I did mention this to you and you didn't know about this for a very long time. But the first part is about being premenstrual. Wow, really? <laughs> yeah, I'm needing cycles. Oh, of course. Yeah, wow. <laughs> so none of it really is telling a story about anything specific, but, um, you know, I, I'm needing cycles, mess on the floor. Cram you in twice a day is me just wanting to use the word cram. Okay. His name cram yeah, is yeah. just Mark spelt backwards. Yeah. And I was like, I want to use the word cram. It's such a cool word. It's like scram. <laughs> what about the chorus? Uh, I'm in denial. That part is that anything to do with anything? Uh, so that's just me always kind of thinking about everything that we've been taught is wrong, and mm-hmm. you know we've been lied to by 
everybody. <laughs> I'm in denial, losing leaders by the mile, cruising up your dial. Yeah, that's just rhyming stuff. Okay. It's just a feeling uh-huh, thing, uh-huh. I suppose. Do you remember where we got the title? Yeah, Darts from uh, London Fields, the Martin Amos book. Yeah. Very obsessed with that whole book. Yeah. I remember Dart, Down the Drinker. So Dart yeah. is a cigarette. Yeah, that's right. And so it was all uh, Cockney. Yeah. Is it Cockney? Just London, London slang. London slang. You know, yeah. And we used to just quote stuff from that book to each other all the yeah. time. And do you remember uh, it was around the time that Ejector Seat Reservation came out by Swerve Driver. We were listening to that heaps. Yeah. I remember because it's actually my favourite Swerve Driver album. Uh, but on the inner sleeve of the vinyl, there's a photo of them all lounging around what looks like an airport lounge or something. And I think one of them is reading London Fields. Yes, that's right. Yeah. I think it's the drummer. Yeah, it is. Yeah. That's amazing. That's so funny. Because um, there's quite a few books that are kind of important that are linked to this album yeah. for me. It's like yeah. Douglas Copeland. Yeah. Shampoo Planet, yes, especially, yes. and Life Without God for me. Yeah. But you didn't like that book so much. I still liked it. Like, I like his at yeah. least first half dozen. His, like, they're really great. His writing is so great. And then William Gibson, mm-hmm. um, we did a lot of cyberpunk reading back then, too. True. So, William Gibson and Neil Stevenson. Yeah, definitely. Um, but with Kitten Licks, it's just all about London Fields. Yeah, definitely. Bruises, another one where I, I probably maybe brought in the bones of the song, but I think actually with this, it was a case of like, I was at the point where I was confident enough in both of us that I could leave some space. And I was like, this is where you step in and do something, yeah. just do something. Yeah. And you'd walk up to the mic and do whatever. And nine times out of 10, it was close to what we'd keep or yeah. it was what we'd keep. So I remember this song, I wanted to write a real smart, quick clever song which my model was not model but what i was inspired by was blubber boy by regurgitator oh wow because it's so smart and it moves so well and it's just really well put together and cool you know what i mean i was like yeah i want to write a song like that wow there's a real stretch there i would never in a million years put those two songs together for me i remember you know yeah stepping up and just singing parts Yeah, yeah and um Knowing that my journal says that, you know, we struggled with singing a bit mm-hmm. when we recorded it, um, probably just trying to get the right vibe. Yeah. I was probably at that stage pushing it really hard because I thought I had to sing True. loud and, yeah. you know, yeah. project and stuff. Yeah. And then I think I can remember you saying, no, I want you to be more sassy, a bit more sexy, breathy or something. Yeah. And I was like, I don't know how to do that. <laughs> but I didn't get it on that song the way I think I wanted to get it. Oh, wow. It sounds but it pretty still good sounds me. really good. I think, um, you know, thinking about your singing, really, we both 
Well, you especially, you really push yourself into way more melodic territory than you'd ever yeah. gone with Scream Feeder before anyway. Yeah. And there was no screaming or anything like that. Yeah. And uh, it was really like when we started recording your singing, I remember that you decided to double track almost everything because mm-hmm. it just sweetened it up so yes. much and it made it sound so good and so it really gave it some kind of magical something, you know. Yeah, so previously all of my singing experience in bands was screaming yeah. and and pushing it really hard. Um, so, yeah, this was a pretty new – like I just didn't know how to use my voice. I didn't know how to get the best out of it. it. took me a really long time to work that out and I think I sound a lot better when I'm singing softer. And, yeah. And it, but it depends on the song and stuff as well. But, yeah, so big learning curve, trying to get it right. But I just remember also the end of this song is like the damned. Like yes. Yeah. It's a fun to play. Yeah. It's like neat, 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 right? Yeah, it's neat, yeah, neat, yeah. neat. Yeah, yeah, it's cool. <laughs> so you know, we had a lot of fun putting this stuff together and just you know, and chucking things in and seeing what And it was what really like you know, you listen to the points in the song where it does the weird little pull-ups and stops and stuff, and it was really just a matter of saying to Dean, "Oh, can you do something weird there? Can you just sort of put the brakes on and change direction?" And he would, and we yeah. just roll with it, and there, were, there it was. You and know? even simple things like you know, at the end, there's like, oh, there's the bass solo. Yeah. <laughs> And there's also the bit where it's just drums yeah. and vocal yeah. at the very end there and just really simple arrangement decisions just make a song so much yeah, more for sure. interesting. Yeah. But this is track four and holy cow, bam, bam, yeah, bam, yeah, bam, yeah. bam. We're just hitting, we're like punching people in the throats with um, this album so far. And uh, this is one of several songs on the record where we didn't have a start as such. So we just say to Dean, oh, can you start it? Can you just do something? (laughs) And he was like, you know, like and did the start. Oh, and and that's also on that YouTube thing. His kick, oh my God, he's like a machine gun. Yeah, it is. (laughs) Young and, um, you know. Full of the devil. Full of the devil. What's the next song? The purr. The purr was my partner at the time, Mickey, uh, who was excellent at purring in and out. And it must have been an afterthought because it must have been after we named the album Kitten Loose that we thought of putting that sound on there. Because it wasn't, we didn't have the name until much later. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So Explode Your Friends is the next song. Yeah, it's um, the point at which the album slows down a notch. And this and Dead to the World. Definitely influenced heaps by the sort of slow, simmering groove of uh, Girls Against Boys. Yeah. I did not know that Girls Against Boys were an influence for these songs. So that's interesting. But I, I know that we did probably go on a really massive bender of their music and I was a big fan. I still listen to them. I think, you know, when you're writing music and then you hear a band doing something that you haven't heard for a while or you haven't heard before or they come in with a fresh approach like that, you just go, oh, fuck, you know, yeah. I didn't even think of doing something like that. Yeah. It's the point where the album really changes and our song style really changes, the mood changes. Yeah. This is like 
the mellow change. Yeah. Um, I don't remember really writing the lyrics or really what it's about. Like, I think it's just fleshing out that theme of, you know, your friends being backbiting or two-faced maybe. Mm. But I don't think it's like very literal or based on anything real. I think it was just uh, an idea I had. Maybe I thought of the title first or something like that. It's a weird title, like Explode Your Friends. Like the whole idea of exploding your friends is quite surreal, Tim. Yeah. (laughs) Um. And then Explode Your Friends goes into... So we come out of Explode Your Friends with all this sort of backward guitar and, and sounds and stuff into BAM! Yeah. Down the drinker. I remember where I wrote this. I remember everything about it. It was at Warmington Street. I'd just moved into your old bedroom. Yes, that's right. And you'd built like a... a loft bed. A loft bed. So I had a desk under the loft bed. I sat at the desk. I started playing that little riff. And I've totally ripped off Magic Dirt. It's such an Adelita riff. And then I literally write the song in the time that it takes to play the song. Right. You read books about people who write songs and a lightning bolt It just comes to them. them. Yeah, for sure. This, everything came out at once. The lyrics, the melody, probably took 10 minutes to write this song. And I completely inhabited the body of like a little kid who grew up feeling like, so it's not about me. Oh, I thought it was sort of, uh, you know, autobiographical. It kind of sort of seems that way, but it's actually like a little kid who is kind of a bit bullied by his parents to be the best. Wow. And doesn't really care. Okay. Wow. And, and I thought it was way more directly about your experience in the band and things like that. I guess I am reflecting mm. on that because, you know, when you write, you do have to write from your own experience. But it's I don't feel like it's about me. Every time I play it or sing it... I'm seeing this little kid. I'm seeing them at their school, like in a track race. Wow, cool. Yeah. Really weird. I've never experienced that again, Mm. like that electric, like lightning bolt moment. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Wow. Um, It's a funny one because like I know that we recorded this one, especially with no click track. So what would happen when we get to the pauses? I think Dean would just go... Yeah. Stick count through it. Yeah. And so that's all pretty random when you do that. At some point, you've got to switch the thing off and just rely on your own inner timing. Yeah. Uh, and I remember right after we recorded, you must have gone to mastering or someone must have mastered it without me there because I went over to Germany with uh-huh. Mickey and Pascal, my daughter. And I remember listening to the tracks on, on a cassette that we just run out of the studio. And I was like, that timing in the breakdown where the music stops and the guitar just has the riff, it's all wrong. And it sounded really wrong to me. I was freaking out about it. And I was sort of like deep thinking this theory of how the mastering engineer could kind of cut it in and have the guitar overlap and do all this weird chopping of the song and mastering. And I think I was on the phone to maybe you or Joe, our manager, saying, Joe, you've got to do something about this gap in the song. It's all weird and the timing sounds terrible. And in the end, the consensus back from Australia was, don't worry about it. And so I was like, okay, I'm just going to have to live with it. (laughs) I I can vaguely remember something like that because I went down it was in sydney right the mastering 
I went down for it. Okay. And I'd never been to, to a mastering session in my mm. life. And I didn't know what the hell was happening. And um, yeah, I remember it being a bit stressful because we wouldn't have had mobile. So I don't know how I would yeah. have been talking to you. Yeah. You must I think have called must the have, studio. Yeah, I must have been on the phone to Joe only prior to the mastering. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I don't notice any. Me neither. Like, do you, <laughs> uh, <dear. Yeah. laughs> anyway, it's just part of the charm now. You yeah, know, as is always the case, right? Yeah, totally. Another song that is still fun to play to this day, right? Yeah, yeah. Twenty-five years it. later, or thirty-five years, forty-five, fifty-five years later, how long it is? Six hundred years yeah. later, we'll be yeah. like mummies playing this song. <laughs> Uh, next song is Dead to the World. Uh, again, one we still enjoy playing. We're saying that about all the songs. It's weird, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, I love this one. I love the slow bass groove of it. I love the drums. It's a joy to sing because uh, it's right in my zone. And uh, the lyrics are like I like them and I feel they're pretty good. The first verse isn't really about anything. The second verse isn't really about anything. But then the last verse talking about the canaries in the air, that's taken from... I'm pretty sure it's Shampoo Planet mm. by Douglas Coupland and it's the last chapter of the book where the I think it's the lead character in the book is in a room with a bunch of disabled people and there's some canaries in the air from memory, something like that. And the, I think the last line in the whole book is the world is alive. Yeah. And it was just this, I got to the end of the book and read that and I was so touched by it. It was such a lovely ending to a beautiful book. Uh, I had to nick it basically. Yeah. Plagiarism. <laughs> yeah. It's one of your favourite things. I love playing because of the bass line. And I think that potentially this was one of the songs where it was like, let's just jam on a thing. Yes, you're right. And I come up with this bass line and then Dean and I start playing along and then you start playing. Yeah. That's how it pretty much yeah, came together. Yeah, for sure. It's definitely a band room creation. Yeah. And yeah. I know what I was channeling when I came up with that too. Jesus Lizard. Oh, wow. Okay, yeah. cool. Which is doesn't sound anything like a Jesus no. Lizard song, but... You know, they just had the real driving, monotonous, repetitive yeah, bass lines. Yeah. They were chunky as hell and cool as anything. And I was like, yes, please, I'll have some of that. Yeah, and it's cool because, like, you know, the drums I was talking about, it works on a real fast upbeat song like Static where you got this real snappy snare and Dean's very precise, tight playing. But it also works super great on a more spacious, deeper song like this. Mm. Uh, you know, the drums are still very... They slice in and they say something, mm. even though they're the same sound, essentially. Like, they're light and springy and zappy and, you know, energetic. Yeah. But it really, really works on a slower song. Yeah. I love playing this song. It's so Me much too. fun. Yeah, it's great.
I remember sitting with you in the bedroom at 41 Mormington Street that used to be mine, then became yours. Yeah. <laughs> at the desk under the loft bed and this is probably the only instance at least up to that point where we'd literally written a song together line for line so we went line for line on most of the song from memory do you remember that correct uh, i can't remember sitting down with you but that sounds right but i know for me where a lot of the lyrics came from because it was actually out of my journal because uh-huh. i'd written a whole bunch of stuff when i was in noosa um drinking red wine, taking Valium. Right. And it was all very, you know, spaced out kind of stuff about like the ocean. Uh Uh, The sea turned silver. Yeah, you know, all of that kind of um, imagery. So the first verse is... I like um, a warm red glow. Yeah, I like fast, I like slow. Yeah, Yeah, maybe that was written line for line. Each person Mm. would say something, but I was referring very heavily on my diary. It's a funny song because, like, the verses and the little pre-chorus parts are very poetic and reminds me a lot of Seam again Mm. and atmospheric and the music and the words are Mm. really sweet together. Mm. Uh, You know, it's a real pullback of a song for the most part. But then the chorus is like listening and also playing the song. The chorus is my least favourite part. it, It sounds like a wannabe Nirvana part or something. It sounds like let's get there heavy here just for the hell of it, you know? I agree. The way the singing moves with the music isn't that great and it's a little little clunky and weird. The chorus is the part that works the least well yeah. in the song. Yeah. But like, you know, the vocal back and forth yeah. is really good yeah. and like the mood that we've set with the music mm-hmm. and I'm playing this really nice bass line and yeah. you're picking out this really nice guitar bit and... Um, but the, some of the lyrics are quite funny. Like, I know that I really cringe about the cheese line. Oh, I like the cheese line. <laughs> it's such a weird thing What's to put in a again? song. Um, I like a warm, I like the smoothness of cheese. The way it slides down. Because, <laughs> <laughs> like, that was, it's all kind of a bit weirdly sexual. Oh, a, bit se- a bit sensual, which is very not like the way we kind of write yeah, songs. Definitely. And, wow. And, um, and because it's you and I singing one line for each, it kind of like, it's a bit. Oh boy, this is a bit weird. Oh wow, okay, yeah, that <laughs> um, is weird. <laughs> I also have this very funny memory of the practice room that we shared. Hmm. I think Hug Bubble or somebody, a band that Cass, this drummer, was in. There's a couple of other bands that we very different to us, and um, Cass had found the lyrics. Oh, and they were written down, like typed out, uh-huh. and he was like, "Oh my god, I found some of their lyrics." It's Awful. Oh my god, that's and hilarious. Like, and they printed it out as well because, like, no one had computers then. Wow. I was like, oh yeah, that's mine. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, but so I, I love the cheese line as well, but I just think it's such a fucking weird thing. It is, to put in it a is song. a bit weird. Yeah. Um, what about the video? Like, in that video is actually Mickey, who we've been talking about. She, yeah. she did the purr. She's the housemaid in the hotel yes. scene in the video. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, and the so video is so weird because, like, we're all wearing this weird, like, it really looks like in the mid-90s, yeah. fashion lost its way big time. Oh, I lost my way. I did not understand fashion. Everything I wore was just from an op shop yeah, that cost so like $2. We get to, every time we toured to Sydney, I remember there's this op shop at the top of King Street, like the city end of King Street, and we'd go there like first because <laughs> yeah. it was actually a great op shop. Yeah. And I remember having this like weird mustard colour pair of jeans <laughs> that I loved. And I'm wearing this orange shirt that I also wear in the um, – Oh, God, what is it? The rage thing. Oh, wow. Okay, that yeah. That orange shirt yeah. that 
oh, it's awful. And it's so had this, comfortable. Um, <laughs> pair of very wide, baggy green cords on for some reason. I was like, what the fuck am I wearing green cords for? That's so oh, weird. So in the live part of that video too, I'm wearing a pair of brown cords. That yeah, you are. are way too big for me. <laughs> I've got a belt on to keep them up and I'm wearing this purple sort of paisley yeah. uh, synthetic button-up shirt. Like, what the hell? But and literally, I've got a pyjama top on, right? Yeah. yeah. I'm wearing pyjamas in the other yeah. part of the yeah. song. Far out. And like, there was, um, when we did the live, the playing part of the song, Dean didn't have his kick pedal on because we're miming, basically. Yeah. And I was like, dude, you got to put your kick pedal on. You'll be able to see it. Through. And he's like, nah, don't worry, mate. No one will see it. <laughs> like, you know, you watch it and there's his foot just doing nothing. You can totally see it. <laughs> never noticed. I'm too busy looking at myself going, why? Why are you wearing those pants? <laughs> I literally had no idea how to dress. It's so funny looking back at the nineties. <laughs> it's in some ways it's dated so much with yeah. things like fashion and even buildings and cars. It looks like the freaking fifties, <laughs> doesn't it? Uh, it looked like the seventies for me. Like a dreadlocks, this stupid oversized clothing. <laughs> I literally didn't know how to wear clothes. I wasn't into fashion at all. I didn't care. Yeah, yeah. So it didn't matter. It. So that was one of the freeing things about the 90s True. as well. Yeah. <laughs> Anything goes. And, and gravity, didn't. of course. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Nothing went. Nothing. <laughs> and gravity ends with the big noise out, which is kind of fun and yeah. a bit weird and random. But I think it was one of those songs where, you know, we got to the end and we just didn't want it to stop just yet. Yeah. Lots of noises. They're yeah. all heaps of fun. <laughs> And so next is Ant. For me, this is another Jesus Lizard moment. Oh, of course, the bass. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's it for me. That, that's all you got? <laughs> that's all I got. I think I remember, you know, we fleshed it out at practice again. I knew that there had to be a chorus, so I went home and just jotted down some words and wrote mm. the chorus. The first verse is literally a true story about me when I was in primary school in England. Uh, probably in like grade three, perhaps around the age of six or seven, teacher tied me to my chair. We had these Are little you wooden kidding? chairs. You knew that, right? I did. You know, I didn't. Oh, okay. So oh, maybe I did, but yeah. That's... So the, the teacher, because I was running around in the class, and the teacher tied me to my chair. And it seems weird thinking about it now, but it. it definitely happened and then i'm pretty sure i just got up with the chair on my ass and ran around some more <laughs> pretty sure that teacher would be in jail right now yeah, if that yeah, happened yeah. these days oh totally god wow um so that was the first verse the second verse really wasn't about much i just wanted to put some some other crap in there so i just wrote, wrote <laughs> verse two you know what i mean yeah yeah but the chorus sit down was you know i think that's pretty funny yeah and so i do the i will be good i will that's be right. good yeah yeah and um so when i play that live because this song is very labor intensive yeah, for, for me. Yeah, for you, for sure. When I'm up to the I will be good, my arm is killing me. Yeah. And so the delivery is like, I will be good. <laughs> Ow, I will be good. 
good. Uh, yeah, I get to the end, and I'm sure if anyone's ever seen us play this song live, I get to the end of the song, and I actually have to shake my I arm out. I can't believe you can play it. Like, I, there's no way I could play that on the bass the way it moves around. Like, but crazy also singing like that. Yeah. Uh, against this it's yeah. a counter rhythm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's very hard, but I'm very I good at it. Totally believe you. You are good at it. You've nailed it. Yeah. And the weird little slowdown in the middle, I think it was a thing of ours to kind of go, ah, the song's a little straight. It's just got a verse and a chorus. Let's just put some wacky moves in yeah, there. Yeah, go on, Dean. You do yeah, something. You tell us what to do. We'll just play along. And five minutes later, we had it. Yeah. Imagine if you heard that song and it wasn't by your own band. It was by some other band. What would you think of it? I'm going, wow, that's a weird song. Yeah, me too. <laughs> <laughs> These people are weird. <laughs> Great bass line, though. <laughs> the end we tacked on in mastering a couple of other things so there's this huge slow drum and bass groove which is actually the uh, it's a part of Dead to the World but the tape is slowed right down so it's just boom boom and when you slow down stuff like that it just sounds beautiful and Mm. deep and resonant Mm. and sounds awesome Uh, followed by a piano piece Helen's theme which you recorded back in Sydney when we were doing Burn Out Your Name right? Yes and I wrote it no I wrote it at Burn Out Your Name. Yes. We recorded it at the sessions uh, for Feel Yourself With Music and it ended up on this album. Yeah. Which is really strange. It is, but it's kind of cool. It is very cool. I don't know why, but yeah, it's just, that's what happened. So why is it called Helen's Theme? Oh, it's named for my mum. And there's no reason, it's not about her or anything, but it's just a really pretty piece of music and... Um, I thought she'd be be impressed by it. <laughs> nice. What's she? I don't know. <laughs> you should ask her. Yeah, I will. Um, it's one of those things that we would have like really liked because of the Huskadu. True. I think it was at Zen Arcade they had. Yeah, um, on Zen Arcade there's two piano interludes by Graham yeah. Hart. Yeah. And so, yeah, that was kind of, that's an inspiration for putting Definitely. it in there. Yeah. yeah, I thought of that too. Mm. I don't remember sitting at home writing it and writing the chords. It sounds like a very sit-at-home yeah. song. It doesn't sound like a band room song. I don't remember writing it, but I do definitely remember, again, stealing the idea, at least, from a Douglas Coupland book. Pretty sure it was Shampoo Planet. Uh, about the story of uh, some astronauts taking a bird into space to see if it could work out how to fly without gravity. Mm-hmm. And... Um, it could, and they were all pretty impressed, and they gave it a little seed, you know, the seed belt. Yes. And uh, everyone was happy, and it's just a sweet little story, and I just love things like that that are kind of cutesy, but at the same time super important for science and all that kind of side of things, you yeah. know? Yeah. So, yeah, I just nicked it and wrote a little pop song around it, and for me it's a pretty okay song. What do you think? 
Yeah, it's a good song. I know I really struggled playing it and remembering all the chord changes because there's a lot of chords in it. And yeah, it's funny because when I'm writing a song, I'm, I'm usually like, oh, shit, that chord sounds good. But then so does the other one. And rather than make a choice, which most songwriters would, most songwriters just say, okay, let's just go... A, D, whatever, you know, mm. and that's how the song will be. I'm like, no, I'm going to chuck all options in there because I like them all. Oh, that's why we yeah. end up playing all the options. Yeah, all the options are in <laughs> yeah. there. Yeah, well, that's good. And I guess for the audience listening, it makes the song ever so slightly more complicated, but hopefully in at least most instances it doesn't detract from the catchiness or whatever. I don't even think an, a casual listener would even hear it, to be honest. I hate it when people like, oh, can you write, can you tell me the chords for such and such song? And I'm like, yeah, but like, oh, oh, changes around so much. And so I end up writing this essay about what happens at the (laughs) third line in verse four. You know, actually it just goes to an A minor and you're going to not expect that. And, you know, it's like really annoying. That's funny. Well, you should just, don't ever change, Tim. No, two chord songs from now on. Yeah. Two chord Tim. One called Kelly. (laughs) E. (laughs) E minor if I'm on the guitar. So back when we lived at Houston Terrace, rewinding a little bit uh, in Milton, one night I was home alone and I was like, I've got nothing to do tonight. Because remember back then you had time to be bored because there was so little coming at you all the time. So I jumped on my bike and cycled over to the Chanel Theatre at St. Lucia Uni, went to the cinema just to see a film I'd never heard of, didn't know anything about, and it was Until the End of the World by Vim Vendors. Oh my goodness. And I was stoned mm-hmm. and I saw this film, it's super long, approaching three hours and it was amazing, it blew my mind, it's mm. one of my favourite films to this day. It's a very meandering film, it goes to a lot of places, uh, it's a massive worldwide sort of production, there's you know scenes in mm. tons of different countries and things like that. Amazing film, big sort of uh, I guess 80s slash early 90s classic uh, by him. Uh, anyway. There's a lead character in it who, at one stage, there's this tiny sort of espionage sort of angle in the film, and his codename is Broken Ladder. Oh. And so, you know, like most of the songs on this album have got titles with nothing to do with the songs themselves, and this is totally an example of that, because I kind of, I like that. Yeah. But the song really is uh, a big kind of E minor-y, codeine slash bitch magnet you know, super slow groove, heavy song about, yeah. you know, I guess it harks back to Philly Soft songs like yeah. Numb. You know, yeah. it's that, those songs about dysfunctional relationships. The other thing about it is there's a song called Shane by Liz Fair. Do you remember that song? Uh-huh. It's a song that ends by going, You gotta have fear in your heart. Mm. You gotta have yep. fear. And I was like, holy shit the ending of that song is amazing it goes forever and it's just this super simple thing and I nicked it for the ending like where it goes um, maybe then a little part of you will melt maybe then a little part of you mm. will melt yeah so I, I really wanted to steal that Liz Fair hook and um, cool. and then that's yeah that's how I got the ending of Broken Ladder and that's sort of what inspired the whole song actually 
Yeah, wow. Okay, I didn't know any of that. There you go. <laughs> that's all news to me. Wow, that's a great story, and I love that film too. Uh, it's been a million years since yeah. I've seen it, but that's amazing. I was going to say um, there's some of the lyrics in this which I feel are lifting from my personal experience. Oh, yeah, maybe there are. There are, okay. yeah. So it, I think it touches on my the relationship between me and Tony. Uh-huh. I think you and I had a conversation one day and I was telling you how it made me feel. Oh, and there's okay. like the bones will powder, blood can set fire in my veins, won't compare to what I carried in my brains. You apologize like it's an accident. You're not sorry. You know just what you meant. Yeah, I think I do remember it. you actually telling me that and I, I remember telling I you um, yeah it's really powerful like you so good at stealing stuff and distilling it into something else that um, maybe not so much with some songs where you're literally stealing words but this is like you've taken a conversation and turned it into well that part of the song anyway if it ain't nailed down I'm nicking it <laughs> yeah I'm pretty much it. you're a geezer <laughs> <laughs> um this song's so great to play live. Oh my god, like, it's such fun! It's yeah. just like glorious, and I get to play the lead break. Like, yeah, I think by now I feel this was probably a later stage song in the set uh, that we wrote. Mm. Uh, I feel by now we were just on a on a thing, like we were on our own thing, and we were like. You know, you would go and play like in inverted commas lead or yeah. melodic bass parts whenever possible, and that was just the norm of how we operated. And I think, yeah, we were just on a roll. We were doing our thing by then. And as a three piece, that's a lovely way to operate because yes. you know everyone's got their job, and it's an easy thing to do as a three piece to swap kind of melodic roles like that. And you know, the guitar can just be the bass root notes for a while, yeah. and it's a sweet thing to do. Actually, it's good yeah. fun. So we put a call out to Brisbane musicians to see if anyone knew a cello player and a sax player. And uh, we got this guy, Luco Sullivan, to come down and play cello on pigtails. Yep. And there's some lovely photos in our book, actually, of you and him rehearsing out on the lawn of yep. the morning of the recording. Remember that? Yes. I remember that really clearly, too, because it was like, you know, again, it's just this raining. It just rained and rained for like two weeks. And this day he arrived and we woke up in the morning and it was sunny and he and I got chairs and sat out on the lawn with the sun shining and I was playing the guitar, he was playing the cello, we practiced the song and it woke everybody in the house up and it slowly everybody came out and sat on the veranda drinking coffee and it was just, you know, magical it was basically. A moment, yeah. For sure. You had to be there, but it was definitely an incredible moment. Yeah, and uh, I can't remember when the sax player Graham Ricks arrived, but it must have been probably that day as well. Yeah. And it was really like, oh, hi, I'm Tim, this is Kelly, this is Graham. We just introduced each other, played him the song, and he was one of these players as well who just heard it once and knew what to do. Yeah. Like professional musicians. Yeah, a real <laughs> musician. Yeah. And uh, he did two or three takes. We kept two of them because they were so amazing and exciting and they gave the song so much juice. Yeah. Uh, and it was weird that we chose to do something like put a saxophone yeah. on a song. I know why we did it. Why? Do you know why? No. Swerve Driver. Of course. We're so, like, honestly, it's a bit embarrassing. Such copycats. We have such Thieves. copycats, Yeah. 
But um, so they had uh, saxophone on the end of Never Lose, Never that, Lose feeling. that Feeling. Yeah. But it's like the, they also do a reprise type sort of thing. Because that song goes for... Yeah. It's really long. Yeah. And the sax comes in at the end. Is that right? Yeah. And so, yeah, we do something similar. Um, sorry, everyone in Swift Driver for ripping you off again. <laughs> Tell me about the lyrics. Uh, so, yeah, this is like um, classic Kelly <laughs> being all depressed and moody and all emo. It's about, I guess, kind of feeling... You know, the, the idea of having your foot nailed to the floor, going around in circles. Right. Um, frustration, not doing well in a relationship. Some of it's about, you know, not being heard right or, I don't know, something. Okay. It's, yeah, it's heavy for me. Okay. And in fact, I don't like playing it. Because really? it brings up feelings, yeah. Wow, okay. All the feelings. And so you remember when we did got ready to play these songs at um, recently at the Princess mm-hmm. Theatre with Regurgitator? We played it a few times at practice, and I was kind of like, "Ugh, this sounds awful." I didn't like it, and I was just I don't know, just having a hard time reconnecting with it because it is about an uncomfortable time. Right. So we played it a few times, and I kind of got used to it, and then felt like I could sing it better. Because um, the singing on, for me, a lot of the singing on this album that I did, I cringe at now. Right. Like okay. I just go, oh, it's the tones that you that I'm using, the way I'm pushing my voice, having to listen back to it, it's kind of hard. But then, past that point of caring, <laughs> and just you know started to enjoy it, and went, oh, this is actually a really cool song. I love this song so much. Yeah, well, that's good. singing like um it was pointed out to me recently that our album was not the first but it was sort of like a slight uh change for aussie independent music in that in that period where it was very focused on the boy girl vocal interplay and it was it was you know a new thing ish in in the scene and uh it was probably the album up to that point we should really focus on it the most yeah I actually don't know any other bands that were really doing stuff like that. Yeah, true. Um, especially not with such intent and such design. Yeah, know. I mean, I guess like we were just taking our cues from the Pixies. True. This song, though, is weird because this song is the only song, I reckon, where I muscled in and put some vocals in where mm. I kind of didn't need to. Like, yeah. it was really your song and I just sort of plonked some singing in there just for the hell of it. Yeah. But what I love is the very, very last line where I say, pigtails on a rock, yeah. pigtails on a rock. When we're mixing... Uh, as for all the songs on the record, we were all hands on deck, mm-hmm. literally like me, you and Paul, 
maybe Dean 2 all over the desk and we had to ride certain volumes or switch certain things off and on or change tones as it was being run out in real time. There's one point towards the end where we have to put the reverb on my voice. And so on that first Pigtails on a Rock, there's no reverb. And then it switches on late on the second one. Right. And it becomes all reverb. Oh, wow. To me, that's this magical moment where this reverb disappears. And it was a mistake. But we were like, yeah, that'll do. It was such an interesting way to work. Like everybody's literally got their hands on the desk yeah. and, and writing faders and stuff. Um, I don't think I wanted you to sing on it, but you wanted to sing on it. Oh, okay, right. Yeah. But, you know, that was like an artistic, creative mm. to and fro that we had. Yeah. And it is a little bit superfluous. Like I don't necessarily think it's needed. But it's it's the title of the song. Yeah, true. <laughs> and it's weird that I get the last line of yeah. your song. And it's weird that the song is called that as well. True. Because it's about like a person who's a rock. Right. And but they're just got you know it's a personifying a rock. And it's a girl. And with it's a pigtails. girl with pigtails. And right. I used to wear pigtails. So it's one hundred percent about me. Yeah. But um, yeah. This was before you cut your dreads off, though, right? Yeah, I had dreads yeah. at this point. Yeah. yeah. Those dreads. I still have them. <laughs> Up for sale on our website They're now. Up for sale. <laughs> Who wants to buy some grotty old dreads? <laughs>